We are in Esther chapter 2, and last week we started, we opened up the book of Esther. We gave an introduction, but also we set the stage as to what to expect in the book of Esther. You see, the book of Esther is amazing because you get to really understand and learn and get to know God's master plan. God's master plan, right? And when you study God's master plan, you understand that in His master plan, there is always providence where God sees ahead. There's always protection where you see God always preserving His people and His plan. But also you get to understand the character of God. You know what the character of God is in His master plan? Is that He is present in every scene and in every moment of your life. God is present in every scene, in every moment of your life. When you think about the book of Esther and you start to study it, the entire plan was that God would raise someone up, specifically a woman, or Esther here, as we learn and get to know her a little bit better, right? That He would raise her up for such a time as this in order to preserve the Jewish people. You see, in God's redemptive plan throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, from God's redemptive plan, that it speaks in every single book. Do you understand that in God's redemptive plan, it's always now about preserving His people. It's always about redemption. Until the point where we see Jesus the Messiah, our Redeemer, coming to save us, to redeem us. Because He has a plan for our lives. Because He has a purpose for our lives. And there, the ultimate redemptive plan unfolds when Christ goes to the cross. I want to, you to, t- I want to tell you something even tonight. As I was reading Esther, even this week, and studying, God reminded me. And I want to remind you that God's plan for your life. And I want you to think about this. God's plan for your life always includes grace and always includes mercy. And I think that's something that we have to remember. That God's plan for your life, in His plan for your life, there is always grace and there is always mercy included. And you see that in this book. Now we see in chapter 2 that the king Ahasuerus now, Ahasuerus, is looking now for a queen. He's now dismissed his own queen because she rebelled and said no to him, right? A woman of also some type of dignity when she did not want to come and display herself for others to look at her in such a physical way. And now we see Mordecai come on the scene who brings now Esther, Mordecai's uncle brings Esther, his niece, who he raised because both Esther's mother and father had passed, right? And we see God's plan of what is He doing here, the Lord? He's aligning all the right people in all the right places at the right time. Have you ever noticed that when God does that for you? You just don't know. You've been praying for a long time. But God is lining up the right person at the right time, at the right place. Because His divine plan is working behind the scenes. And He is the grand master architect with His own blueprints laid out for your life. Now as He's doing that, we start to learn and understand through the book of Esther. That God has a purpose for that place that you're in in life right now. That God has a plan for that position that you're in right now. And He does nothing on accident. I think sometimes we ask God, Lord, why do you have me in this place in life right now? Lord, why is it that I'm still struggling? I don't understand why I'm still here. I don't understand why the doors are not open. I don't understand what's taking place, why you're moving me from one place to another. But God has a purpose for that position. And He has a a plan for 
that place. Now let's read verse here, chapter 2, verse 7. Because now we end up where we see that Mordecai takes Esther now to be one of the women to be tested out to be queen. And it says in Mordecai, Esther 2, verse 7, had brought up Hadash or Hadassah, that is Esther, that's her Hebrew name, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. Now that means that Esther was exceedingly beautiful as you study the scriptures. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Now he's taking her to be one of the 400 women that the historian Josephus tells us that were candidates to become the queen. They were taken by force from their home and they would spend one night with the queen after a 12-month preparation of being put in the palace with the king. And if the king actually liked them or approved of them, he would accept them to be the queen. But if he said no, he would send them out to his palace and they would be held there almost as a widow of the king, never to be released again. It's believed through history that some of these 400 women were taken by force and it was not something that they personally volunteered for. But you see God working behind the scenes and now Mordecai, this Jewish man, is taking Esther up to be one of the candidates to be at that right place at the right time as God is orchestrating everything to serve His redemptive plan. Do you know that as God moves you from one place to another, we as Christians, we as disciples, we as men and women should say, Lord, if Lord, you want me here, this is where I want to be. And there's no greater peace, I'll tell you. When you're looking to, for movement in life, or maybe you're praying about something or another, where you go and say, Lord, if this is not what you have for me, then I don't want it. <laughs> just think about it that way. I remember just a few years ago where I went into an interview and, and, and I was sitting in the parking lot of this, this place and I, I, it so happened that I was interviewing for a promotion at work. And I remember as I was there in that parking lot sitting there and I didn't come out of my car and I prayed. I said, Lord, if you don't want me to have this, I don't want it. Don't give it to me. Before the interview, I stepped in there with an incredible peace that I've never felt in my life before. Because I understood what it meant to be content in the will of God. And I want you to understand that today. I was reading a book this week on A.W. Tozer when it comes to the will of God. And he said so beautifully, there is no failure in the will of God. How can you fail? How can you lose if you're in God's will? I had a pastor one time tell me, Art, if you're in God's will, what is there to be discouraged about? <laughs> Art, if you're in God's will, what is there to be discouraged about? There is no failure. There is no loss. You're not a loser in God's will. Now you see God moving all of this. And in verse 8, it says of chapter 2, So it was when the king commanded that decree, it says, that were heard, and when many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken. Understand, look what it says. It was, she was taken now. This was something that maybe she personally didn't volunteer for, but God was leading her that direction. Sometimes you don't understand why you're going to the place where you're going until after you get there. Have you ever been somewhere that the Lord is moving you? You don't understand why are you moving me there? And, you, and the Lord says, I'm not going to tell you until after you get there. God has a reputation of telling you step one and He will not tell you step two until you first have obeyed step one. 
Sometimes we want to say, Lord, I'll do step one. I'll step out in faith to that place if you just tell me where you're going to take me after that. And God said, no, that's not faith. You think about what he did with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want you to leave. Start walking. And the Bible tells us that Abraham went not knowing where he was going. You see, Esther, at this point in her life, she didn't know why God was moving her. She didn't know why God was opening this door. She didn't know why God was about to raise her up. Why she had to be one of the candidates to become queen. But it said she was taken to, be, to the king's palace in the care of Haggai, the custodian of the woman, this man Haggai. Now the young woman, ple- now the young woman pleased him, the custodian. She pleased this custodian and she obtained his favor. Isn't that amazing where God moves you to a place and then on top of that he gives you favor? I love that word favor because it speaks about the loyal love of God. You understand when God demonstrates favor, He even would use an unbeliever to work out the purposes of His plan for your life. And sometimes you're a little, how is it, Lord, that even through an unbeliever, you're working out your purpose and your plan for my life? Here, Esther gains favor now in front of the person that was the custodian of the woman. Favor. And this really describes loyal love or God's desire, God's character now. You see here on the life of Esther. Favor. The grace of God. God's loyal love upon her life. So He readily gave her beauty preparations. He started to just pamper Esther. Right? To her beside her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants. Not only did He give her everything that she possibly wanted for those 12 months, but he he also gave her now these seven servants that were there and provided for her from the king's palace. And he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the woman. You see how this favor now is being expressed in the life of Esther? That God is orchestrating all of this? That Esther doesn't even have to force open a door? The most beautiful thing about when God shows you favor is that there's no striving in the favor of God. There's no force opening any doors in the grace of God. And and we see that in Esther's life. God's going to do it because that's what He wants to do. We don't have to force open a door. It's the favor of God in Esther's life that He's moving it because He has a plan for Esther in that place. Because he has a plan for Esther in that place. Now it tells us this in verse 10. And Esther had not revealed her, her people or her family. For Mordecai had charged her not to reveal her. Mordecai said, do not tell them that you are Jewish. Why? Because it would get her into trouble. During the Persian Empire, the Jewish people were being oppressed. He says, don't you dare. When you go there, you don't you dare tell them that you are Jewish. Do not reveal your identity now. And it says in verse 11, Every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the woman quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. So he was walking back and forth in the courtyard trying to find out how, what, how's Esther doing. And each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months of preparation. 12 months of preparation before you see the king. And now there they are and going one by one, the women. And according to the regulations of the woman for thus... Were the days of their preparation a, a proportion six months with oil of myrrh and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. They wanted them to be in tip-top shape before they saw the king. 
And here they are being prepared for 12 months to see King Ahasuerus. Thus prepared each young woman and went to the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters to the king's palace. Now they have an option of what they wanted to take from their quarters into the king's palace. They, they can take something when they were going to present themselves before the king. But pay attention to this because you start to see now the favor of God on Esther's life when it was her turn to go. And it says here, And in the evening she went, and in the morning she returned to the second house of the woman, to the custody of Shashgaz, the king's Enoch, who kept the concubines, and she would not go into the king again unless the king delighted in her and called her by name. So this explains the process that we already talked about. He would dismiss them if he wasn't pleased with them, and they would stay there unless he called them. Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Behael, the uncle of Mordecai, who had been taken, who had taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing. <laughs> this is amazing. Look at her character. She requested nothing. Look how simple Esther was. And I really believe that God had to use someone that was so simple to put them in a place where He can then raise them up. Where He can raise them up. She requested nothing to go in to the king. It says, But Haggai, the king's Enoch, the custodian of the woman, advised, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. You know this custodian that was taking care of these women and arranging all of this? You know what he said? You know what? Don't request anything. But also, this is exactly how you're going to be prepared to go to see the king. Now, what's happening here? The, the God is really not only placing her before people, but also giving her a heart to be sensitive, silent, and simple. Think about how God uses us. Think about how God wants to use you. The simple-hearted, the simple-minded. Because now something happens and God raises up Esther, but for such a time as this. You see, God has placed you where He has placed you because there He wants to use you. And I think sometimes what we try to do is, Lord, take me to the next place where you can use me. And if you would just put me there, Lord, Lord you're just going to maximize the ministry of where, uh, and what you have for my life. And God's saying, you know, well, if you start reaching people where you are today, then we can take you to the next place where maybe I've given you a desire to be. And you're seeing that Esther is being prepared for what's coming next. I think it's important that we understand that what, where God has us today is a preparation where He wants to take us tomorrow. Do not try to rush the process of preparation because you'll miss out. You'll miss out on very important lessons. I think there's a problem when we try to speed up the journey of where God's trying to take us through because we want to get there already. And God's saying, I don't want you to miss out on all the lessons that I have for you along the way. They're very important lessons. And, and let's read here on in verse 16. Because something happens as God is demonstrating grace and favor on Esther's life. Do you remember Joseph? God demonstrated grace and favor. Do you remember David? God demonstrated grace and favor. These are unlikely people that would be raised up to such high caliber. But God demonstrated grace and favor. Why? Because of also because their simplicity, because of their obedience. And look what happens here when she's chosen now. And the king loved Esther more than any, all the other women, and she obtained grace. 
Did you not notice that she first obtained favor and then she obtained grace? That's God's plan for your life. Favor and grace. It's amazing what's happening here. God is unfolding this plan on His own. God is unfolding this plan on His own. Esther's not trying over here solicit herself. God is full unfolding the plan on His own. She obtained favor, and look what it said, and now she obtained grace. Verse 15, obtained favor. Verse 17, obtained grace. I want you to know that you are in God's will, in God's will, in God's will. I want you to pay attention that I say that because I don't want you to misquote this or misunderstand this. In God's will, He gives you grace and you are highly favored. That is only in God's will. But think about what's happening here. In the sight more than all the virgins, so she set a royal crown upon her head and made her a queen instead of Vashti. That was the replacement queen now. What does he do? He, the Lord is raising her up for a purpose. What does Psalms 75 verse 6 and 7 say? And I want you to write this, Psalm 75 verse 6. Because this is something that gives us peace about how God does things, about how God moves from one place to the other. And it says Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7, David himself understood this concept firsthand. And I, and I really pray that we understand this and we take it to heart, this prayer firsthand. He says, For exaltation neither comes from the east or from the west, nor from the south. For, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. Well, how many times have me and you try to look to a person, look to a man, look to an organization, look to a group and saying, because of them, now I'm here. No, it's because of God. And we should never look to an organization, a person, a people, or a plan that set us up for the place where we are today. No, it is God who puts one up and takes down another. It is the Lord who puts everyone in those places. God exalts one. He brings one up and takes another. It's the Lord. And what's amazing about that is that you don't have to fight against God's plan. Regardless of what man says, man can say no, but if God says yes, it doesn't matter what man said. Because God is the one that's behind it, and God was behind it here. You want the Lord to be behind it? Then, then, then step into His will. The problem, the frustration comes when you want God to be behind it, but you're out, out of His will. When you want God to bless it, but you're not in the lane that God had put you in. You've stepped out of His will. You no longer are in obedience and you want God to bless it. He's not going to bless that. He's not going to show you favor or grace right there because you deliberately, you made the choice to step out of His will. And then we wonder, Lord, what is it that you're doing? Why isn't it that I see you blessing my life the way you said you would in your word? You see, something happens here in verse 19. It says, when the virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat with the king's gate. You know what happened here that Mordecai sat at the king's gate? Now Esther, as she became queen, she hired on Mordecai for a position now as a king's official in his palace. And it says, now Mordecai sat within the king's gate before he was sitting out in the courts. You think about that? Now he's sitting in the king's gate. Man, he is probably so thankful that the Lord is moving behind the scenes because he has a Jewish man is now sitting in the king's gate from outside in the courts. Now Esther had not revealed her family and her people just as Mordecai 
had charged her, for Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as when she was brought up by him. This is such a major verse. Verse 20. What did it say? That, that Esther still did not tell anyone that she was Jewish. It's incredible because her position, I want you to understand this, her position did not change her teachability. How many times has the Lord promoted us in position and therefore it changes our teachability? I don't have to listen to Mordecai anymore. I'm the queen. <laughs> don't ever let your position change your teachability. I pray that we all here, no matter what place God has us in, that we cultivate a spirit of teachability. That you cultivate a spirit of teachability. Why? Because it says here that Esther being so simple, it uses a, a beautiful word, obeyed. Obey. You see in verse 20, obeyed? Obeyed. See, that's the spirit of teachability, obedience. You can't say you have a spirit of teachability if you don't possess obedience. There's no way. She obeyed. Her position did not change her teachability. Well, why is this important to us? Because look at it even goes on as, as it continues. We continue reading. It says the command of Mordecai as when she, as she was brought up by him. I was thinking and I circled that word brought up. Because you think about when you raise someone up in ministry, in life, a spouse, children, a brother, a sister. That we would raise them up, that we would bring them up in the way of teachability. That no matter where the Lord takes them, no matter where the Lord puts them, that no matter where God raises them up to, no matter what positions the Lord places them to, it never changes their character. It never changes their spirit of teachability. You know, the, the moment that you lose the heart of teachability, you lost every aspect and the potential of you growing to where God wants to put you in. Because now you're saying, I have arrived. Esther was the queen and she still had not the, she did not have the attitude of, I have arrived. She still obeyed Mordecai. And in verse 21, it tells us that she was still now maintaining that sensitive spirit because the why was more important than the what. <laughs> the why. She was there and she understood that she was there for a reason. She's finding out slowly. But that why is more important than her being queen. Well, why? And let me explain this a little bit more to you. See, the reason why she was there was more important than where she was from. Sometimes I think that we get so caught up on who we are that we forget why God has put us here. And when we start to think about who we are and we forget why God has brought us here, then we start to really lose focus on the vision and the mission that God has us. Or why he has us here. We must maintain an attitude also of being mission minded. She obeyed. She had an attitude of being missional in the things that she was doing. And in those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthan and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on the king Ahasuerus. Two of his own men wanted to now kill Ahasuerus the king. So while the matter became known to Mordecai, who told the queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now this was told now to uh, 
Esther for Mordecai. Hey, Mordecai said, Esther, there are two guys within the palace that want and go and execute the king. Esther goes and on behalf of Mordecai tells the king, and look what happens. And when an inquiry was made or an investigation into the matter, it was confirmed and both were hanged on the gallows and it was written in the book of Chronicles in the presence of the king. What does Mordecai do? A man that was there so humbly just serving as a king's official in the, now inside the palace? He was really demonstrating what we see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. What does 1 Peter tell us? Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God and honor the king. You see, he was being very respectful as to where God put him. He might have not respected now the person who was King Ahasuerus, but he did respect the position that King Ahasuerus had. And it was important here because now you see that the Lord is putting them there together for a specific reason. And we're going to see here this in chapter 3. What do we learn here in chapter 3? That we walk by faith and not by sight. One of the important lessons that you learn from Esther is that we walk by faith and not by sight. You might not necessarily understand. But God is moving in that direction because He has a plan that you don't know about. What did we talk about last week? His ways are not your ways. His way is perfect. And He makes all things work together for good. See, that's exactly why faith is needed. Because you don't know His ways. His ways are not your ways. This is the process of walking by faith and not by sight. Faith is always preparing us for what God has next. Faith always prepares you for what God has next. And we're going to see what God has next here in the life of Esther. I love what A.W. Tozer said. He says this, If I am where God wants me to be, I will have everything God wants me to have to be all He wants me to be right now. He is not short-sighted. He knows everything. Isn't that so comforting and so true? If I am where God wants me to be, I will have everything God wants me to have to be all He wants me to be right now. He is not short-sighted. He knows everything. God knows everything. Now in Esther chapter 3, verse 1, it says, After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman. What did he do? He promoted Haman. I want you to pay attention to that word, promoted, and Haman. Because Haman was a man that came against the Jewish people. He was wanting to execute and terminate the plan of God of preserving that nation. And God's plan through prophecy tells us in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come from the Jewish people. Just think about that. He's trying to execute now the nation in which the Messiah would come. Haman. He promoted something or someone that was against the plan of God. I want you to be very careful about not promoting any area in your life or any area, anything in your life that will come against God's plan for you. How many times have we accepted a promotion that comes against God's plan? How many times have we sought for something or promoted something in our life, maybe the flesh, promoted a desire, promoted something that is self-seeking and just let it, just we promoted it. And so often as we promoted it, it took over our lives eventually to where it came against the plan of God directly. 
I pray that today we choose not to promote things that come against the plan of God for our lives. Because here this king promoted the wrong person. Do not promote the wrong things or the wrong people in your life. I said the son of Hamedaitha, the Agagite. The Agagites were now descendants of the Amalekites, which were people that the Lord told in the Old Testament for even Saul to get rid of, the Amalekites. And it tells us here that he advanced him and set him a seat above all the princes who were with him. Well, isn't this frustrating now for Mordecai? Mordecai watches the king's back and then somebody else gets the promotion. <laughs> Have you ever been in that situation where you're working so hard but somebody else gets the promotion unfairly? You see, God's plan even in the midst of this because it says here now that he got promoted, a descendant of the Amalekite, he promoted him to a very powerful position in the kingdom. A powerful position in the kingdom. And it says, And all the king's servants who were within the king's gate bowed and paid homage to Haman. You see, when you start to promote something that doesn't honor God, eventually you will bow to it, and then you will bend the knee and pay homage. You know why it's important not to promote the wrong things? Because you eventually would bow, bow down to them and pay homage. You're going to pay an undeserving respect. Or it becomes idolatry because we promoted something that God did not want. It said that now everyone starts to now bow down and pay homage to Haman. For the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow or pay homage. Now please notice Mordecai, a man... It is a Jewish man. His name means little man. <laughs> Simple guy. And he's not bowing down and he's not paying homage. Because you know, you know what Mordecai decided? I'd rather contradict than compromise. I'm ready to contradict this principle versus compromising my commitment to God. He said, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to bow down to something that is not the God of the Jewish people. He knew that these were ancestral enemies of the Jewish people, the Amalekites. He knew, how am I supposed to ever bow down to an ancestral enemy of the Jewish nation? See, he teaches us something. Number one, to not promote the flesh because it kills your usefulness. But also he teaches us character. In a very crucial time, God's going to put you in a place and then He's going to test your character. God's going to put you in a place and then He will test your character. And guess what happens here? Mordecai would not bow down or pay homage. He didn't want to do it. Right? And it says here, And the king's servants who were with him, the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why do you transgress against the king's command? What is it? Why is it that you're not bowing down to this man? Now it happened when they spoke to him here daily and he would not listen to them that they told it to Haman to see whether Mordecai's word would stand for Mordecai had told him that he was a Jew. Now Mordecai said, I'm a Jew and I'm not going to bow down. It's like us in today's culture. I'm a Christian and I'm not going to do that. I am a son of God and I will choose not to do that. I am a daughter of God for the ladies and I'm going to choose not to do that. I'm not going to compromise for the sake of position. 
You see, Mordecai said, I'm not, I'm not going to bow down. Now, this man here, Haman, was very bitter and he was very unforgiving of the Jewish people because they had killed the king of Amalek. If you read back in Samuel. And Haman, the reason why he wanted people to bow down to him, why he wanted people to show him respect, was because he was a very proud and insecure man. You see what happens when you put a proud and insecure person in leadership? They're only satisfied. They are only satisfied when other people approve of them. If you're looking for the approval of other people, it's, it's your pride and your ego that's looking for that approval. Do not seek for the approval of people. What are six things that the Lord hates? Why don't you turn to Proverbs 6 with me really quick? Because these are six things that God hates, and all six, Haman so happily to possesses all six. <laughs> he, he passes this test with flying colors. He possesses all six things that the Lord actually hates. All six of them he has. And it says in Proverbs 6, 16 this. These six things the Lord hates. Look what it says. Yes, seven are abomination to him. What's the first thing that the Lord hates? A proud look. God just hates a proud look. <laughs> a lying tongue. Man, I, we don't even have, if we, we, if we stay all night on those twos, I think that, that all of us here will evenly and equally feel us convicted. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. This is what Haman's about to want to do here. He comes with a plan. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who soars discord among the brethren. One who divides. You know, it's been said before that God loves addition in the church. God loves even subtraction in the church. God loves multiplication in the church. But God doesn't love division. He hates division. And Haman here came to divide. Why? Because he was very proudful. And what people do with authority is a test of character. What you do in a position, of it's a test of character. Do you use your authority to promote yourself or to glorify God and raise and elevate other people? Because this man was so motivated by pride. And I'll tell you what pride does. It blinds people. It blinds you completely to what you really are. It blinds you to what you really are. And it, makes, and it makes you believe insistently on having what they really don't deserve. Pride blinds you. This man was also a prisoner of pride. It blinds you to what you really are. And it makes you believe that you, you, you should have something that you really don't deserve. And he wanted to become a man of success. Bow down to me. Pay homage. See, the problem is that so many people, even in the church today, want to become men of success instead of men of character. Women of success instead of women of virtue. Women of value. How did we get that mixed up? Because now we're living by the standard of the world. Are you looking for success or are you looking for virtue? Are you looking for success, man, or are you looking for character? You can build a kingdom, but can you build your character? Look what it goes on in verse 7. This is great. In the first month, 
verse 7 as we continue reading. And in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of the king of Ahasuerus, they cast spur or a lot, because Haman here wanted to destroy all the Jews, as we see here. And he was filled with wrath. And not only did he want to put his hands on Mordecai, but he wanted to put his hands on all the Jewish people because of this rebellion. And it, and it tells us this, that he just sought to destroy them all. And now he casted a lot, or it's almost as if they were casting dice as to determine when they would kill all the Jewish people. Do you see now how the plot is thickening here in the book of Esther? All the Jewish people, the entire nation of Israel is at risk. Is at risk. Something has to happen if, so, if this, this situation is at risk. It's a critical situation, but God raises up Esther to stand in the gap for the people that are at risk. Maybe He's called you to stand in the gap for your family because there is a situation at risk. Now it says, Before Haman, to determine the day and the month until it fell on the 12th month or 12 months later, which is the month of Adar. So they cast their lots to determine what day it was going to be that they were going to annihilate all the Jewish people. And it was 12 months later. That was the date. And it says here, Then Haman said to the king, Ahasuerus. Now Haman goes to the king and he's going to tell him what his plan is as to why he wants to do this. And he tells the king here, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different. King, there's a people that are a nation that is among your kingdom. Their laws are different than ours from other peoples. And they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. You see, was he telling the truth? Yeah, he was, so to speak. However, he was exaggerating about it to work in his own interest. He said, don't let them live in my own interest. Don't let them remain. Let's get rid of them all because they're a danger and they're a threat to the kingdom. He made the Jews look like they were a danger and a threat. You see how the enemy comes and lies and, and, and turns things around? Were they a people that they had different laws? Absolutely. They had their own laws. But here they're ma he's making them look out like they're a threat. Man, isn't Satan a liar? Satan is a liar. And I'll tell you this also. I want you to remember this. Especially if you're, you know, whether you're married or not. But if you're married, it works out really well. Satan is also an instigator. Satan is an instigator. And you see here that Haman goes in to instigate. To lie. You see, pay attention to what's going to happen here. Because in verse 9, look what he's proposing. And if it pleases the king, let a decree be written that they be destroyed, and I'll pay 10,000 talents of silver. Now he offers them something. He offers the king money at the expense of getting rid of the Jews, God's plan. I hope that you know that the world is going to offer you something at the expense of God's plan for your life. The world is going to come and, and offer you something you've always wanted at the expense of God's plan for your life. Here, look at 10,000. Now, shekels, if you just come... And step out of God's plan just for a little bit. If, you, if we just come against the plan of God. If we just come against the plan of the, God's people. And he comes with an offer. Be careful when you come and someone comes to you with an offer. And look what it, tell, it tells you here. 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who work to bring it into the king's treasuries. Now the king was just defeated by the nation or the kingdom of Greece that he decided to go out and try to conquer. Do you remember that last week? He was defeated. That means that he was not in a good financial situation. 
Have you ever been in a not so good financial situation and then you get an offer and you're saying, Lord, I, you know I need it. Lord, you know that I need this offer, that I, I can really use this right now. But is it going to take you out of God's plan? Is it going to take you out of God's plan? Right? And it says, So the king took a signet ring, that was his authority like a signature, from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatta, the Agrigite, the enemy of the Jews, the enemy of God's people, the enemy of God's plan. He took his authority, he took his power, he took now his signature and he signed it over now to an enemy of God's plan. Why? He didn't pay attention to what he was doing. What happens when you move rashly without really considering the cost and what the principles are and what the precepts are and what the plan is? In Proverbs 18, 13, Solomon warns us to not rush into things. He says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's fully and it's a shame to him. Do not answer a matter before you hear and understand it. Do not rush into anything. This man here wanted to exterminate the Jews that would mean the end of the Messianic promise to the world that Jesus would come from such a small, weak nation. Right? Now in verse 12 it says, And the king's scribes were called to the thirteenth day of the first month of the decrees were written according to Haman's command to the king's satraps, to the governors who were over each province, to the officials of all the people, to every province according to its script, and to every people in their language in the name of King Ahasuerus. And it was written and sealed with the king's signet ring. Look at this document that now the king himself authorized and signed that all the Jews would be now killed. And the letters were sent by the couriers into the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate. I want you to just please circle that in your Bible. To destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews. What does the Bible tell us about how the, what the enemy comes to do? To kill, steal, and to destroy. What was this king doing here? He wanted to come to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews. Both young and old, little children and women, in one day. You think about how fast, how fast something can turn around of what you worked for in your obedience for a long time. Because we decided to go the way of pleasure instead of the way of obedience. Now this man Haman was an authority and the king was an authority. And although they thought that they were ruling... God was overruling. And it says this. And on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their possessions. Not only does he want to rip you off of your family, of everything you have, he wants to rip you off of your possessions. And it says children, women, in one day, everything, possessions, all, rip you off. That's the enemy's goal. That is the enemy's goal now. And a copy of this document was to be issued in the law of every province, being published for all the people, that they should be ready for that day. Ready for the enemy coming to annihilate and take everything. And the curs went out and hastened by the king's command, and the decree was proclaimed in Shushan the citadel. So the king and Haman sat down to drink. Think about the king and Haman. After sending out this awful document, they sit down still and they have the audacity to sit down and start to drink. Do you, do you, can you believe that? They sit down, they start to drink here, but the city of Shushan was confused or they were perplexed. How is it that you can sit there and drink 
when all these people are about to die. <laughs> you see that they were perplexed because of his calloused heart? How is it that this king has absolutely no compassion? How is it that this person that is in authority right now has absolutely no compassion when people are about to die? When people are about to die. It really should remind us, you know, when we, we are so quick to criticize this king and Haman, that we cannot be a hardened believer. Do you have a hardened heart as a believer? You see, like Haman, that, that, that Haman here and the king, they were unconcerned about the lost people that were around them. And I pray that we would not be unconcerned because of a callous heart and lose the compassion. I mean, when you lose the compassion, I'll tell you this, you lost the heart of Jesus. You lost the heart of Jesus for His people. You lost the heart of Jesus for His people. Charles Stanley says this, he says, God's tables are full, but His fields are empty. Think about that. Why is it that God's tables are full? Everybody wants a seat at the table, but the fields are empty. We all want to enjoy the feast, but we don't want to share the message. Are you ready to share the message today? Or do you just want a seat at the table? Too many of us compete for a seat at the table, then you never step out into the field to share the message. I pray that we are really careful of not growing a callous heart for the people that are around us that need Christ. That we really are sensitive to, that, to those needs. Now in Esther chapter 4, it goes on, and we're going to see here how Esther now is raised up to a time, but for such a time as this. And you know what Esther uses in chapter 4? She uses this now risk-taking faith. Because God did not call you today. God did not raise Esther up for such a time as this. God did not raise you up for such a time as this so that you can play it safe. That doesn't honor God. That doesn't honor God. Nobody, I'll tell you this, nobody ever made a significant difference or impact for the glory of God by playing it safe. And we see that Esther is a woman of courage that teaches us about risk-taking faith in chapter 4. I encourage you, don't miss it next week because it's going to be great. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the risk-taking faith that you demonstrate to Esther, uh, through us to Esther, God. I pray, Lord, right now, by the power of your Spirit, God, that you would speak to us and show us, Lord, that we would not be those, Lord, that would have a callous heart while people are dying every day. That the call... That the words, the call, would be so important to us and to our lives. That the words, the call, would dominate and motivate us. That we would be so mission-minded. That we would not be so striving for a seat at the table and never step out into the field. I ask, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to be content. Teach us, Lord, what it means to trust you and not to trust ourselves, God. We thank you, Lord, because it, when it's your master plan, no matter what man says, it will take place. 
when it's your master plan, Lord, you will raise up and you will take down. You will open and you will shut. Today we want to thank you, not only for the open doors, but Lord, today we praise you for also the closed doors. In Jesus' name, and together we say, amen. Let's praise God, guys. Awesome. Hang out. Remember, this Friday, go to the crusade, hang out with your family, be ready because Saturday morning we see each other at the beach. It's going to be an incredible, incredible time. All right? God bless you guys.